Well, good morning. Happy Easter to everyone. We are in the the final week of a four-week series called Recovery and Reconnect. And in the first two weeks, we looked at Ruth chapter 1 and talked talked about what it meant for us to heal from the trauma of the pandemic that we've all lived through over the past year. Last week, we pivoted from recovery to reconnecting as Daniel walked us through chapter 2 of Ruth, where we saw the importance of taking initiative with one another again. Today, we're going to end our series looking at chapters 3 and 4 of Ruth. And in these two chapters, I want us to consider three things this morning. First, sometimes we are the means through which God answers our own prayers. Secondly, we are to publicly proclaim what God has done and what he is calling us to do. And then thirdly, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Pray with me, Father. We're grateful this morning that you are alive, Jesus. We're grateful that you sent the Holy Spirit into all of our lives who profess faith in you. And we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would take this ancient text and that you'd use it to transform our lives, to encourage us, to motivate us, to challenge us, to make us more like you, Jesus. And we pray this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. So just encourage you, you can open your Bible to chapter 3, or you can look in your bulletin. And the first thing that I want us to consider this morning as we look at chapter 3 is sometimes we are the means through which God answers our own prayers. Often when we pray, we see God working through circumstances and other people to answer our prayers. But what we see in the third chapter of Ruth is that God also uses the person who is praying as a means to answer her own prayers. Back in chapter one of Ruth, Naomi prays to the Lord. And Naomi asks him to show kindness to Ruth. And to provide a husband for her so that both women might be provided for. Now, as you look at chapter 3, verse 1, Naomi tells Ruth that she desperately wants God to provide for her. And then in the next four verses, Naomi shares her thoughts and ideas on how that might happen. In verse 2, Naomi reminds Ruth that the field that she has been gleaning in belongs to Boaz, who just so happens to be one of her relatives, or some translations say kinsmen. Now, you might be wondering, why why is Naomi reminding Ruth that that Boaz is a relative? And the answer is, in the ancient Near East, there was a common practice to help care for widows known as kinsman redemption. When a family such as Elimelech and Naomi left their property and moved 
to Moab, they gave up their rights to the land. But if, as in the case of Naomi or any other Israelite woman, her husband were to die, then the closest relative to the husband, if he so desired, could go to the person who bought the land and ask to buy the land back at a fair price. And the person would have to sell the property to the kinsman redeemer. Now, the kinsman redeemer purchased the land. And if the widow was still alive, he could also invite the widow to move back home. And if he wanted to, he could marry her. So Naomi, being fully aware of this kinsman redeemer practice and knowing that Ruth had already found favor with Boaz, a close relative, hatches this plan. Naomi instructs Ruth to go get washed up, put a nice, put on nice perfume, put on a nice dress. And then Ruth is to go down to the threshing floor where Boaz was winnowing barley. And without him knowing it, Naomi said to her to go and lay next to him and then wait. And when Boaz woke up, he would tell her what to do. And as we read in verses 6 through 15, Ruth begins to implement Naomi's plan. She gets herself ready. She goes to the threshing floor. She waits until Boaz is asleep. Then she goes and she lays next to him. And then the author tells us at midnight, Boaz woke up. And he was startled to find a woman lying next to him, like most of us would, right? And he asked... A question that all of us would ask, who are you? And Ruth identifies herself to Boaz. And then she takes one further bold step. Ruth asks Boaz, please spread your wings over your servant, for you are a kinsman redeemer. Ruth asks Boaz to marry her. So talk about boldness and risk-taking in the midst of such a patriarchal system. Instead of waiting for Boaz to ask her for a hand in marriage, Ruth goes against all the cultural norms and asks Boaz for his hand in marriage. And Boaz answers Ruth's question with incredible kindness and grace, saying to her, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I remain tonight. And in the morning, if you will redeem, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Boaz basically tells Ruth, I'm all in. But because there is one relative that's nearer than him. Tradition requires that Boaz first must go check with that nearer relative. And Boaz says, if he wants to redeem you, Ruth, then he can. 
But if he doesn't, then I will redeem you. And in either case, Naomi's plan and Ruth's brave actions serve as a means through which God answers Naomi's prayer for Ruth to have a husband. Likewise, as I think back over this past year, we too have prayed that God would bring an end to this pandemic. And we have prayed that God would continue to sustain us as a church and reconnect us fully with one another. And like in Ruth chapter 3, your actions have served as a means through which God is answering our prayers. Over the past year, you have made countless sacrifices to love your neighbor and to make sure we stay connected as a church body. You've wore masks, you've socially distanced, you've creatively come up with ways to help your kids learn virtually. You've gathered together in the heat of the summer out in the parking lot. You've gathered together when it's been cold in the fall and in the winter. You've put up with our virtual streaming and that sometimes comes in and out and sometimes our voices don't match our, our lips. You have generously given of your time, your gifts, and your money so that we could continue to thrive as a church. And so I want this morning to thank you. To thank you for your prayers that this pandemic would come to an end. To thank you for praying for us as a church. On behalf of the elders and the leadership, we are so grateful That not only have you prayed, but that God has used your actions as a means to answering your own prayers. And as we move forward and continue to pray that the pandemic comes to an end. And as we pray that we'll begin to reconnect with one another. Inside, without masks, in our homes, over meals, and in large potlucks once again. I want us to remember That God most likely is going to use you as a means again to answer our prayers. Each one of us is a secondary cause that God is going to use to bring about the healing and restoration that we all long for. Every one of us has a part to play. And while you might be thinking that your actions don't matter, I think as we look back over the year... We can see that the truth is you are a vital part about bringing this pandemic to an end and helping us to reconnect fully with one another and grow as a church family. I don't understand the mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility, just like I don't understand the mystery of God using us as a means to answering our own prayers. But the author of our text this morning shows us that this mystery does take place. God uses flawed humans like you and me to carry out his plans. To bring an end to the pandemic and to be the local church that God intends for us to be. So the first thing that I want us to consider 
as we look at our text this morning, is that sometimes we are the means through which God uses to answer our own prayers. Secondly, I want us to see that we are to publicly proclaim what God has done and what he is calling us to do. Look at chapter 4. The author tells us that the next morning, Boaz, he went to the city gate, which was the place where business and other legal matters took place. And while there, behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken happened to come by. So what did Boaz do? He invited him along with 10 elders of the city to come and sit down as witnesses to their conversation. And then Boaz proceeded to tell the kinsman redeemer that Naomi is selling the parcel of land that belonged to her relatives. And if he wanted to redeem it, he could. But if not, Boaz told him that he would redeem it since he was the next in line. The author says that the nearer kinsman redeemer immediately agreed to redeem the land. And while I'm sure Boaz's heart in that moment just sunk, he strategically had left out some very important information that he knew might cause the man to reconsider his decision. Boaz told the man, if you do purchase it, you will also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then the author tells us that discovering that there was much greater cost than initially perceived, the man changed his mind and told Boaz that he was free to redeem it. So as, so as was the legal custom in those times, the man drew his shoe off and gave it to the other to confirm the transaction. And then in verses 9 through 12, we have this very interesting interchange between Boaz and the people gathered at the gate. Boaz says, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech. And all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, like Daniel said last week, I know some of the language surrounding Ruth that Boaz uses is offensive and confusing to us today. But to the original audience, the whole book of Ruth would have been considered extremely challenging to the deeply ingrained patriarchal system. And because of our time this morning, we can't go into all of that. But for our purposes, I want us to focus 
on this very public proclamation and the interchange between Boaz and those gathered. Boaz tells the crowd what God had done. And Boaz tells the crowd what he is going to do to help bring about restoration. And the witnesses standing there, they respond saying, God is blessing this union. And through it, God will bless Israel. Now, why did Boaz make such a public proclamation? Why not just quietly serve as Ruth's kinsman redeemer? And I believe there's many answers to this. But two that I want to share with us this morning. First is, I think Boaz made such a declaration because he wanted to glorify God. He wanted the people to know what God had done to redeem Naomi and Ruth. And secondly, I believe that Boaz stated his vows to Ruth before this crowd of witnesses so that those very witnesses would be a support and encouragement to them in their newfound marriage. And so that they would provide accountability for Boaz and Ruth as they committed their lives to God and to raise a family together. Consenting to something privately is one thing, but to do it publicly adds a greater weightiness to our words that hopefully will lead to actions. Likewise, as the pandemic comes to an end and we begin this process of reconnecting, I think there's value in us making public pronouncements concerning God's faithfulness over the past year. And I think there's value as a church body, us publicly reaffirming the vows we took when we joined the church to seek the peace, the purity and prosperity of Hope Chapel. Such public statements in front of a crowd of witnesses doesn't make our love for another so. But like with Boaz and Ruth, I believe testifying to what God has done this past year and publicly reaffirming our commitment to love and care for one another as we come out of the pandemic is extremely important. And it will serve as an encouragement to us when we begin to interact more fully with one another and times get tough. We can remember this day. And so I want you to stand with me right now. And together, I want us to proclaim what God has done and reaffirm our commitment to one another. And so I have two questions that I'm going to ask you. And I simply want you to respond. I do. Do you believe God has provided all that we needed over the past year? And his hand of providence is always at work to carry out his purposes for his glory and our good. And then secondly, whether you are a member here at Hope Chapel or your own local church, 
Do you commit yourself anew to reconnect with one another and to love one another sacrificially and wholeheartedly and to love your neighbor? You may be seated. As we make these public proclamations, we are witnesses, just like there were witnesses gathered before Boaz. And I hope when times get tough, and they are going to get tough when we reconnect and we're fully engaged, that we remember what we just publicly proclaimed. Just like in a wedding service, the reason why it's public is to bring glory to God, but also so that the witnesses gathered will help support you in your marriage. Likewise, we need one another to support one another, to love one another, and to be the church that God has called us to be. But if you were like me this morning, even as you said, I do, there's a part of us that thinks, I don't know if I have what it takes to glorify God with all of my mind and heart and soul. And I don't know if I have what it takes to love and care for a very diverse people here at Hope Chapel or in my local church. And I'm not quite sure that I have hope that this pandemic is actually going to come to an end. And that the normal that we've lived in over the last year is actually going to be the normal forever. The good news this morning is today we're celebrating Easter. And the third and final point that I want to make is that Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. In verse 13, the author tells us that Ruth and Boaz, they married and the Lord gave her conception and she gave birth to a son. And in the last verse of the book of Ruth, the author tells us that the name of their son was Obed, who fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered none other than King David, whose line Jesus is from. And yes, Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Because while God established a system of sacrifices to make a way so that we could have a relationship with him, that system always fell woefully short due to the depth of our sin and the breadth of God's holiness. But God did not give up on his people. In John's gospel, we are told that God sent his only son into the world the perfect lamb of God. The world hated Jesus so much so that they nailed him to a cross. They spat on him. They mocked him as he took his final breath. But today we remember this is not the end of the story. Scripture tells us that through Jesus's death, the penalty of sin has been paid in full. Through his death, Jesus, the ultimate kinsman redeemer, has bought us back. And through his resurrection, to all who profess faith in him, we are forgiven of all of our sins. We have been freed from the dominion of sin. 
We have been given a new nature. And we have been given the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit to dwell in us. To sanctify us. And to empower us so that we can fulfill the public proclamation that we just stood together and made. Jesus Christ is the restorer of our souls and the restorer of our world. And Jesus is alive. And though for the past year the earth has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, when he comes to consummate his kingdom, there will be no more pandemics. No more suffering, no more violence, no more racism, no more disunity, no more crying and no more social distancing. Our joy will be completely restored as God finishes the work that he has begun of making all things new. It is Christ that enables us to glorify him with our words and actions. It is Christ that enables us to reconnect with one another and become the local church, a city on a hill. He is the source of power that enables us to sit, walk, and stand. And he is the source of power that enables us to love our neighbors well. We can fulfill our vows that we have just made because Jesus Christ is alive. And because he lives, we can leave this place today resting and hoping in him. I love the last scene in the book of Ruth. Naomi, she came back to Bethlehem empty with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. But in the final scene, we see a much older Naomi, no longer empty, But now full, sitting probably in a rocking chair, maybe on her front porch, holding her grandson, Obed, on her lap. And as she stared into Obed's eyes, I'm sure there were still scars from the pain and suffering she endured. But there was also hope. Hope and a future That was much brighter. For in those eyes, I believe Naomi saw not only the future King David, but the one true King, our Savior, the restorer of life and the nourisher of her old age. And as a result, Naomi was finally able to rest. My hope for you this Easter morning is that you will look into the eyes of Jesus and that you will see your kinsman redeemer, the restorer of your soul, the nourisher of your life. He is alive this morning. He is going to bring an end to this pandemic. And he is going to enable us To fully reconnect with one another. And to continue to be the local expression of his love to our neighbors and to the world. He is risen, church. Amen.